Good evening. Uh, before I, I get started, I wanted to let you all know what a blessing it was to, to stand out here and sing with you. Um, I think it's the first time in probably a year and a half that, that I've come to church and sung songs and, and been out there. And uh, even though I was still relatively close to the stage, uh, just, uh, just hearing your voices come from behind me it was, it was a blessing. It was a blessing, and I, and I thank, thank Kevin for stepping in so that I didn't have to worry about that tonight. Um, uh, and I know we just prayed, but uh, let, let me pray for us again, pray for myself as we, as we open God's Word together. Lord, I thank you that you've given us your Word, or that we know what you're like, what you expect of us. Um, Lord, we don't have to wonder what it is that uh, we're supposed to be doing or, or, or what you're like if you're, if you're a good God or a, or a malevolent God, a God who wishes us harm or a God who loves us. And we know from Scripture that you love us. And we come to you now as your children seeking a word from you, seeking help. Lord, as I uh, communicate from your word, I ask that you would help me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you would please turn to uh, Romans chapter 6. That's where we'll be spending our time this evening. Romans chapter 6. Um, and before we really get into, uh, into this, this chapter, we're, we're going to be in verses 1 through 14. And this is kind of a big chunk of, of, of some really thick stuff in the middle of Romans, uh, but, um, but I think it has some really powerful things to say to us this evening. Before we get started going through these, these 14 verses, um, I do want to give a little bit of background. Um, the previous chapter, uh, chapter 5 of Romans, tells us that through Christ, we are at peace with God. Through Christ, we've been justified and God looks at us and no longer sees our sin, no longer counts our sin against us because our sin was born by Christ on the cross and he died to bring us to God. And this gives us tremendous hope. This gives us tremendous peace. We, can no, longer, uh, we no longer have to wonder if whenever we reach the end of our life and we, uh, and we stand before God's throne, we no longer have to wonder, do my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds? Um, of course... Isaiah says, even our uh, best deeds are as filthy rags, uh, and we have no hope apart from Christ. But through Christ, we have a great and unshakable hope. We have peace with God. Throughout this whole passage of chapter 5, um, there seems to be this question that Paul's anticipating that some people will have whenever he gets to the end of it. And whenever he tells us, there's nothing that you can do to separate yourself from the love of Christ, that it is Christ's righteousness on your behalf that makes us righteous before God, he's anticipating a question. And, uh, and let's read Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 14, and this question is right at the, at the beginning. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? 
We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like this, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like this. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life He lives, He lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin Therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. So this question at the outset of this passage Shall we sin so that grace may abound? There are a couple of different types of people who might ask this question. Uh, the first being uh, people who are, who are not believers, people who are scoffers, people who look at the message that Paul is preaching and they say, well, yeah, if Jesus does everything for you, why, why not just keep on sinning? If, if God's just going to forgive you anyway, why not just... Keep on doing what you're doing. Pray your prayer and you're good to go. Um, and these people are just kind of saying that Paul's message is, uh, is silly. It doesn't make any sense. Why not use that as a license to sin? Um, I, I hope there are not many of us here tonight that, that have that sort of attitude. But uh, there's another type of person that might ask this question in kind of a subtler way, maybe a milder way, but a way that is dangerous. Why not sin if God will forgive me anyway? Some of you may have wondered this question. I know I have at, uh, at times, shamefully, I admit to you. Why not lie to my wife? Why not sleep with my girlfriend or boyfriend? Why not cheat on my timesheet at work? Why not take a little bit of money out of the till at the cash register? Uh, if no one's looking, why not do these things if God's going to forgive me anyway? Uh, Paul's answer to this is emphatic. In verse 2 he says, By no means. No way, Paul says. Absolutely not. How can someone who has died to sin still live in it? Why? why? Why is Paul saying by no means? Why is he saying no way? Why is he saying this is an impossible thing? And the ultimate answer, I think, is because we're united to Christ. I want to say that again. We are united with Christ. What does it mean to be a Christian? Um, some, there, there are lots of things that, that are marks of a Christian. Um, someone who follows Jesus? Yeah, that. Uh, that could characterize a Christian. Someone who worships Jesus, 
Yeah, absolutely. Although these things are true, I don't think, uh, I think they're truths that are dependent upon a deeper truth. And that truth is, a Christian is someone who is united with Christ. A Christian is someone who has union with Christ. Whenever God looks at that person, He sees Christ. Are you united to Christ? Have you been united with Him in His death and resurrection? The rest of our time together is going to be kind of an explanation of what what it means to be united with Christ and also some applications for, well, how does that affect the way that I live? Um, So let's let's look at chapter uh, 6, verse 2, verse 2 in our passage. Paul says, By no means... How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried therefore with Him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So, Paul says we're united to Christ in His death and we're united to Christ in His life, in His resurrection. So we're going to look at these two things separately. First, his death. What does it mean to be united with Christ in his death? First of all, I think it means in some crucial sense, whenever Jesus died, we died. Whenever we have faith in Christ and what he's done, we, uh, something in us dies. And whenever God looks at us, um, that sinful Our sinful self has been spiked to the cross alongside Jesus. We were nailed up there with Him. It means that when Christ's dead body was laid inside a tomb, and a stone was rolled over it, the same thing happened to us. And what does baptism have to do with us? Um, You know, you hear hear the words often whenever someone's baptized, uh, buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. This is where this comes from, this, this verse right here. Um, and uh, so that's a symbol. Whenever someone enters the water and comes back up, it's a good and right thing for us to cheer, to clap, to, to be excited, because that person is saying by their actions, I've died to my old way of living. I no longer ha- am, am mastered by my sin. And whenever I r- raise up out of the water, I'm alive with Christ for a life of righteousness. By their actions, this person is signifying what's happened to them. So what's the purpose of this death? This death to sin? Verses 6 and 7 tell us the answer to that. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. So if we've died with Christ, we've been set free from sin. Whenever we're born into this world, as soon as we, as soon as we enter, enter into the world, we're screaming, we're crying, we're born sinners, the Bible tells us. We're, we're selfish. Uh, we don't have an others-oriented thought in us for, for probably a long time um, uh, whenever we're born. Uh, we, we, we tend to be self-centered people. We are sinners, ultimately. And whenever we die with Christ, whenever we say, yes, I believe in what Christ has done, I believe that He took my sin on the cross, 
Uh, it's like we're climbing up there with him, nailing ourselves to that tree. Now, I want to be clear here. Um, this, this does not mean that Jesus did that, so I'm going to do that as well. This means that Jesus did it on our, on our behalf, and we merely have to look at what he's done and believe in it. And we have to say, I have nothing in me that's righteous. I have to count everything in me as sinful and believe that Christ's righteousness covers me. And only then, only then whenever we are laying in a tomb alongside Jesus, dead, can the stone be rolled away and we can walk out. We not only enter the tomb with him, we get up and walk out of it with him. Verse 9 says, We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. So Christ was resurrected gloriously. It's not enough that he bore our sin. If uh, the the Apostle Paul says if he, if he died and didn't raise from the dead, then we're still in our sins. But he, but he rose up from the dead, and we rise with him. Whenever we have faith with him, God looks at us and he sees us alive to him, dead to sin, alive to Christ. We no longer have to obey our sinful passions. Christ will never die again. Right now, he lives as a man, as the God-man, up uh, with God in heaven uh, reigning with him at his right hand. He's still a man. He still has the wounds in his, in his, in his wrists, in his feet, in his side. And he's alive forevermore, reigning and ruling with Christ. And as long as he's there, there is nothing that can separate us from God. Because whenever God looks at us, he sees his righteousness covering us. Christ will never die again, therefore we won't either. Remember, we're united with Christ. Whatever happens to Christ happens to us. Whenever God looks at us, he sees Christ. And Christ is ruling with him. Christ is reigning with him. Christ is alive. Therefore, we're alive. Christ died to sin and now lives to God. We must follow him in this. Look at verse 11. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So... Right now, we've, we're getting to, um, I, I know up to this point, this is, this is kind of high up on the ladder of abstraction. This is kind of, there's some kind of heady concepts that we're talking about here. And uh, we, I, I tend to be a practical person, just give me a list, give me some things to do, tell me to do, what to do, I'm going to do it, and, and that's great. Um, but this is important because... It's only whenever our minds are renewed. It's only whenever we know, uh, know the Christ to whom we, in whom we have faith that we can begin to live in a way that's pleasing to him. Um, and at the end, we're going to get to some application, but I, I hope that you'll stick with me thinking about these big concepts. Um, we, we, we've arrived at a question here. Uh, Christ died to sin and now lives to God. And we must follow him in this. Um, so if we've died to sin, why do we still struggle with sin? That's a good question. Um, some of you might be thinking that. I know I, I thought that when I, when I read this. If we're completely united with Christ, why, uh, why do we still struggle with sin? 
Um, so let's, let's, let's talk about that. In verses, um, let's see, in verses 3 through 11, Paul's describing who we are. We're united to Christ in his death and his resurrection. We're dead to sin and alive to God. Isn't it amazing then that he moves on to say, don't let sin reign in your body? If you're dead to sin, why is he saying don't let sin reign in your body? What's Paul doing here? He's telling us to become what we already are. He's telling us to live into the reality that is in heaven, but on earth we're still moving towards it. There is something that is fixed, immovable in heaven, but yet we on earth are still kind of living into that reality. Whenever I look at Ben, my son, and I talk to him and I say words to him, uh, I, I read in the Bible, uh, Rachel reads in the Bible, we sing to him, we talk to him all the time. He does not understand a word we're saying. Uh, um, and I'm, I'm sure you've all talked to a baby too, so don't laugh too hard. But, uh, but what, what are we doing? We're, we're asking Ben to live into an expectation. We're asking him, we're, we're saying, you're a person, you're our son, um, and, that, and that's, nothing's going to change, but we know we're going to talk to you in, with the expectation that you are living into uh, the type of person that can understand what I'm saying. And it's only through that that Ben can become that person. But the reality is already there. So whenever we are united with Christ, the reality is there, but we're still living into it. We're still becoming what we are. And that's why we still struggle with sin because the dominion of sin is not on us anymore, but yet it's uh, yet we still live in bodies of sin. We have the, the the distinction here is that we are no longer mastered by sin. We can fight it and win. We're going to talk more about this shortly. Um, moving on to verse twelve. Uh, in the final part of our time, we're going to be looking at verses twelve through fourteen. Paul says. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Matthew Henry, the commentator, says, Though sin may remain as an outlaw, though it may oppress as a tyrant, yet let, not, let it not reign as a king. We still struggle with sin. We absolutely will. But the key, but the key part is it's a struggle. It's not something we, that we are comfortable with. It's not something that that uh, is in our life and, and, and it's not something that's a roommate for us that we, uh, that we pass on the way to the kitchen. It's, it's something that we are at war with, that we struggle with. Don't let it reign as a king. Don't let v- sin have a vote in the way that you live your life. Don't give sin a vote in how you live your life. You have a new master. You have a new king. And you have the power to overcome sin Paul gives these three commands in uh, verses 12 through 14. First, don't let sin reign in your body. Second, do not present your members as instruments of sin. And we'll get to the third one in a second. What does it mean, uh, what, that, that word members? That might, that's kind of an old-fashioned sort of word to describe uh, something. What does that mean? That, basically, that just means your body. Your members, meaning your hands, your feet, your eyes, your ears. Don't employ these things for the use uh, of sinful activities. Don't use your hands 
to hurt or steal. Don't use your tongue to gossip, lie, or slander others. Don't use your feet to carry you to places that you shouldn't be. Don't use your eyes to look on anyone lustfully or to look on anyone else enviously. Don't use your ears to listen to the gossip or lies of the, of the media. Don't use your body in a way uh, that is against what God has for you. Don't use your body for sin. We have the power, because sin no longer has dominion over us, we have power to obey Christ. Rather, verse 14 says, present your members to God as instruments of righteousness. It's not sufficient to live a life avoiding sin. You know, we can lock ourselves in our houses and try to avoid all of the bad things in the world, but at the end of the day, we still have hearts that are desperately wicked. Who can know them? We can find anything. Uh, We can find sin anywhere. It's not sufficient to live a life avoiding sin. Rather, we must commission our bodies for war. For war on sin and for the pursuit of righteousness. Or to use these hands, these feet, these eyes, these ears, this mouth for God's pursuits. We no longer have to obey the passions within us. We can fight them by the power of the Spirit. We're to use our hands to build up. Use our tongues to encourage We're to use our feet to carry the good news to others. We're to use our eyes to see the hurt in the world and to try to meet those needs. We're to use our ears to listen to the Word of God, not the lies of men. Present your members to God as instruments of righteousness. All of this is possible because we're united with Christ. What is a Christian? It's someone who's united with Christ. If you're here tonight and you aren't united to Christ, the Bible says you're a slave. You're a slave to your own passions and desires. You can't seem to uh, get away from sin. It just, uh, you willfully walk into it all the time. You think about it, you plot ways to do it. You're a slave, you can't get around it. The only way to be free is to be united with Christ. If you're here tonight and you believe you are united with Christ, if you're a Christian, but you also live comfortably with sin in your life, if sin is taking up residence in you and you look at it and you shrug your shoulders, and the Bible has no category in which to put you. Um, and that's a, that's a dangerous thing. So... Uh, I would implore you tonight to, to repent, to make war on your sin, to use your body to present your members as instruments for righteousness. At the end of the day, Christ has done everything necessary to bring us to God. He's done everything. We don't have to do this. We don't have to present our bodies as instruments of righteousness so that He'll accept us. We present our bodies as instruments of righteousness because we are accepted. Because we are united with Christ, we love Him because He first loved us. Let us forsake our lives of sin, walk out of the grave, and live a life of righteousness. I also want to say, don't rely on your own resolve to do this. 
God has promised that sin has no dominion over us. If you're struggling with sin, be encouraged that you're struggling. Be encouraged that you're making war. Be encouraged because sin has no dominion over you. Verse 14 says, Sin has, does not have the final word on your life. Death is not the final word for you. Life is the final word for you, says the Bible. Says God through His Word. Ultimately, God's promises to us, and He has promised us that sin has no dominion over us. His promises are more powerful than our promises. So we need to rely on His promises, not our own. We, we don't need to come away from this message saying, I just, I just need to do better. I need to, I need to, I, I promise God I'm never going to sin again. What we need to do is look at His promise that anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved and rejoice. Rejoice that He saved us and live a life of righteousness. Present our members as instruments of righteousness. Why? Because we're united with Christ. How can anyone who's died to sin still live in it? Let's pray. Father, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You that You you know us intimately. Lord, You know what we need. You know that we are prone to sin. Lord, we know that You love us and You have made a way for us through being united with Christ to overcome our sin in this life. Lord, we look forward to the day when we no longer have to struggle with sin because it's been done away with. And we ask for You um, to, to help that to be an encouragement for us. Lord, we ask for You to come quickly and in the meanwhile, let us present our bodies as members, let our present our members as instruments of righteousness. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.